DKS14 is powered by Meme Global, a video marketing and advertising solution for entrepreneurs. Hello and welcome to the Digital Kung Fu Show, a podcast and video cast for startup founders and entrepreneurs. Even if you're alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs across the world hustling today's markets. At Digital Kung Fu, we have one goal, to help entrepreneurs succeed in their ventures through information sharing, digitally connecting them with other entrepreneurs, and by dissecting and deconstructing the world's leading business minds right here on this show. Remember, you can view the full show notes on our website at digitalkungfu.co. Dot ZA or tweet this show using our handle at digital kung fu ZA or follow us on facebook.com slash digital kung fu ZA. Building a startup is not an easy thing to do. There's a reason why many new startups fail within the first 12 months. So in order to understand exactly why that is and how to overcome the immediate challenges of a startup and the context specifically within which a startup lives in the market, I reached out to Vinnie Lingham, a Silicon Valley-based entrepreneur with a proven track record of building and exiting startups, his most recent being a $50 million sale to First Data Corporation. This is a man who knows his stuff. He's everywhere in the media, and more specifically, he's now exploring fringe technologies like blockchain and virtual security identification technologies. What's specifically interesting with regards to Vinny is that he's a startup founder and an investor, so he will reveal on the call both sides of the coin and the dynamic intersections between the two. So without further ado, I'm very excited to introduce you to the man himself, Vinnie Lingham. My name is Matt Brown, and in today's show, we are going to explore the world of startups with arguably one of South Africa's most internationally recognized serial entrepreneurs. He is the co-founder and CEO of Civic Technologies, Inc., a startup company that's recently raised just shy of $3 million in venture funding. And he was also, prior to Civic, the co-founder and CEO of Gift. Many of those who um, follow Vinny, uh, well, I guess today, kind of gave it away there. But uh, he started Gift back in 2012, which is a mobile gifting company, effectively backed by Google Ventures. Um, and it quickly became a leading player in the space. And, and just two years later, was acquired for $50 million. Um, he is also the founder of Yola.com, Clicks the Customers, Incubator, and the co-founder of Silicon Cap or Cape, an NGO based in South Africa that aims to turn Cape Town into a technology hub and is doing very, a great job at that at, as it stands today. Um, he is an active technology investor, primarily um, uh, in Silicon Valley, and has partnered with one of his previous co-founders to establish an investment fund in South Africa called Newtown Partners. So what's really fascinating about our guest today, he's a serial startup guy and he's also an investor. So we'll explore the dynamics of a guy who's got the perspective of both sides of the coin. Of the coin. He's invested um, most notably at SweepSouth.com, um, which is a, a startup based in South Africa, which I think went through uh, 500 startups, I think it was, um, over in uh, in the US. We can clarify the facts a bit, a bit later. Um, I think what's really awesome about our guest today is that he's appeared as a dragon on South Africa's edition of Dragon's Den, which is kind of like uh, the UK's um, investment reality show. In fact, it's basically a South African version of that. Um, and he's um, really uh, a fantastic entrepreneur and venture capitalist. So... Um, I think we'll leave it there. Um, he's obviously now based in Silicon Valley with his with his family. And so if you haven't guessed it by now, and if you don't recognize the guy on screen, his name is Vinnie Lingham. Vinnie, thanks for joining the call today. I'm so excited to have you in the hot seat. Great. Thanks to you, man. 
Cool, buddy. Listen, well, I think it's fair to say that you keep achieving success after success. And I'd like to start by asking you this. What, in your view, has enabled you to succeed as an entrepreneur where so many others have failed? I think the one trait of you know, good entrepreneurs is perseverance. I mean, you know, I, I, there's, a, there's a story, there's an image that goes around the web, um, what success looks like. And everyone from the outside, it looks like a straight line up. And the reality <laughs> is it's just this up and down chart you know, squiggles, et cetera. And eventually the, you know, the line keeps hopefully going up, up yeah. and to the right. Uh-huh. And so entrepreneurship looks a lot like that because I think in everyone, in every company I've started so far, there's this moment of like, well, if this is about to crash or it's not going to make it, or we're a day away from closing down like every single company. And that's the start of life. I mean, you get to that, you know, if you don't get to that point, you probably weren't trying hard enough because this, it's just really hard building tech businesses in particular. Yeah. And, uh, you know, especially when you start off with a long-term vision for for a company, um, no no one really sees the vision, yeah. and you've got to you've got to walk, you know, a good path. You know, it takes two, three, four years mm-hmm. before people start seeing, hey, this might be something here, or this could be something big. Mm-hmm. And so, to be a visionary sort of founder and prove it out, you've got to see ahead, you've got to see around corners, you've got to mm-hmm. believe in you know things that no one else believes in. Mm-hmm. And so, success looks a lot like. <laughs> Luck and hard work. I think you, I think you make your own luck here, <laughs> to a large extent. Well, a bit of both. I mean, I, I think I've seen I've seen founders with with bad luck. I've seen founders with good luck, and I've yeah. seen founders with no luck. <laughs> and you know, and uh, I think it's uh, I think you, you do make your own luck, but I think it's it's all uh, perseverance because if you keep trying, in the end, either you know you're going to get lucky or um, it's things are going to even out and you'll be on, you know, you at least you'll make some forward progress. Sure. 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 Well, you mentioned seeing ahead. And I think for me, when I look back at your entrepreneurial journey, the one thing that really jumps out for me is your ability to, to kind of hunt out what's coming next in tech civic being your next play in that space. And of course there are like numerous reasons why you'd want to know about the next thing or the next big thing in tech, especially as an entrepreneur. Um, and, so I think that's an interesting segue into the question I have for you, which is how can entrepreneurs or aspirational entrepreneurs go about identifying the next big thing in tech? And is there a process or methodology that you personally use? Look, I, I do a lot of market research. It's not, it's not as simple as I can just you know, thumb suck it, so to speak. Mm. I, I look at I do market research. I try and envision a world uh, where, you know, where things going. I look at trends. Uh, it's, it's not as... It's not uh, just gut. There's a lot of gut involved, but it's not just gut. It's, it's, it's a very well-informed view of the world. Mm. Um, I mean, in every company I've started, I'm looking ahead. So when I started Tuxi Customs in 2003, mm. like Google had just launched, you know, AdWords less than a year, a year prior. And I came, I said, well, this is obviously big. I mean, Google was uh, at that point a free search engine, which no one really knew how it would monetize and how, how big it could get. Mm. And, um, uh, I, you know, I saw the future where Google was you know, powering search and Tixi Customs got started. Mm-hmm. And uh, with Incubator, we did a whole bunch of other projects, you know, um, you know, which looked into the online marketing space and uh, and, and, and eventually stumbled upon, uh, upon software as a service, which is what Yola became, uh, a platform for software as a service. This is back in 2005, where, you know, cloud, subscription model businesses, software as a service, it was just, you know, people weren't even thinking about this stuff. And then, you know, that played out for a couple of years. 
in 2011 when I left, I started looking at mobile. And, you know, at that point, people had, you know, iPhones for a couple of years and mobile was taking off. But you look at the payments industry, we're still stuck in, in, in reverse. Mm-hmm. And look at what gift cards produced and, and, and the $150 billion gift card market in the U.S. and how it was plastic and, you know, the analog to digital, digital sort of viewpoint of how the world changes and, you know, things which are analog become digital over time. Um, that was an obvious play. And so I started Gift and, you know, two and a half years later, the company got acquired because it built a platform around digital gift cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... You know, again, being able to see ahead, see around corners is interesting. With Civic, it was, you know, I, I think with Civic, I've looked further ahead than any other company so far. And I see a future where you're able to do things like vote on your mobile phone for elections, government elections, local elections. You'll be able to use your mobile phone for uh, as a form of identity. So an ID badge or an ID card, instead of having these little, you know, security badges when you walk through uh, into your office or you get stopped by a police officer to show your driver's license. Um, you know, it'll yeah. be on your mobile phone. And so, um, so it's really about creating the infrastructure for every single person in the world to have a, a, a digital ID. Mm-hmm. And, and so we, you know, where we start right now is, um, with an MVP and launching a, a, a product, which we think is right for now, but the long-term vision. Yeah. And so for me, this is a very long-term play. Okay, awesome. I was going to ask you for the 60-second elevator pitch, but you think you've just done it for us, so thanks for that. Um, but you know, speaking of startup ideas, many entrepreneurs often point to Eric Ries and the Lean Startup Methodology, I'm sure you're familiar with that, as a way to kind of validate an idea for a startup. Um, so let's take Civic, for example. I know you said you were doing, you did some market research and what, and what have you, but when you're looking at future view businesses which really are kind of ahead of the innovation curve, I would describe it some, as something like that. Um, how, to what extent do you validate, uh, you know, startup ideas and what advice do you have for entrepreneurs who are thinking more broadly around things like exponential technology, uh, and so on? So when you're trying to create something which has never been done before, validating it is really hard to do. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's always easy to validate an improvement, but it's, it's difficult to validate something which is, you know, I mean, I don't think people would have seen the world of iPhones if Steve Jobs said to you, listen, you know, what do you want in the phone? And it's the old classic, uh, um, you know, quote from Henry Ford. If, if, if you ask people what they wanted, they would sit faster horses, right? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, so, so that's a classic quote. So, you know, for me personally, I'm a big fan of MVP once you've got, and the, and the guys like Eric, they say this, once you have an hypothesis, you've got to validate it. So, but I think it is a blend. So I, I validate hypothesis in a different way. Um, I think about the world differently. I think, how do we solve this problem? And what's the right solution to go to market that people aren't thinking about? Okay. And then, with, and then when you build an MVP, you look at how do you solve a core pain point right now for your target audience. Mm. What problem are you solving where there's enough? I mean, people don't really react to pleasure the same way they react to pain. You know, if, a, if, if you go into a company and, and you say to them, this product's going to make you guys more productive or it's going to make everyone happier or it's better <laughs> food or what? Like, no one cares. No, no one really cares. Like, you know, it's, it's like, oh, we'll have massages in the office or yeah. like, it's, <laughs> it, it but, you know, giving giving pleasure is not as as uh, lucrative as as alleviating pain. Yeah. You know, if someone's, if someone's in pain and you want to sell them, you know, a small bottle of morphine for ten thousand dollars, they'll pay for it. Right? 
Yeah. So I think, you know, I think the most effective businesses I found are the ones that just relieve a massive pain point. Yeah. Uber relieved, relieved a massive pain point. You couldn't get a taxi, you couldn't get a car, you're standing out in the rain, whatever. Like, it's on your phone. Call it right now. It'll be there in minutes and it's reliable. Yeah. So they solved yeah. the major pain point. Um, Airbnb, all the juggernauts out there, they solve major pain points. Um, Google brought all the information for the world at your fingertips. Um, it's a major pain point. Doing research, doing finding information, and so and and you know, um, connecting with friends, Facebook, they solved a major pain point. So, but it's 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 it's. I think it's hard to predict what what these things are. But if you have a unique insight, um, solving a pain point is way more powerful than uh, providing a pleasure. Mm, yeah, exactly. Um, and solving a need as well. I think they also describe it something like you know, there's a vitamin. Uh, problem that you're solving or a problem that requires a vitamin versus a headache tablet. You know, you're, you're always going to gravitate towards the one that really hurts you the most, I guess, <laughs> or where the need is greater. But cool. Let's talk about, um, you know, scaling. Um, there's this notion around, you know, let's build companies that scale well or scalability in the startup. But of course, it's important not to scale a mess and to be clear on what you're scaling. So from your experience, are there any pointers that entrepreneurs should look out for that can help them identify the right time to scale? Yeah, I think the right type of scale is when you've got um, what they call product market fit. So you've got a, a hypothesis for a product. You've got the product in market. You've tested it. People like it. And people are using it continuously. Um, and you're not losing customers. Because the you know, biggest mistake is you acquire a 1,000 customers this month. The next month, there's only 300 left. And then the, you know, the month and after that, there's going to be 100 left or whatever it is. It's going to keep just you know, going down to zero. So you've got to get retention right first. You've got to make sure that you're growing people who use the product every month are people who come on board and try it. A large enough percentage of people stay. And most importantly, there's word of mouth. They're telling their friends, they're telling other people about it. Um, you know, you can't scale a business unless you've got this sort of um, positive momentum, viral, you know, coefficient uh, in your business. And so this is part of what the MVP scenario teaches you. It says, look, refine what you're trying to, the problem you're trying to solve with the simplest possible solution and does the solution solve the most important problem, um, you know, elegantly? And and and, can, and then when you do that, can you scale it up to you know, to serve a bigger need or bigger market? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, in the South African context, I think too many startups try and focus on doing too many things. You know, the business plans. I mean, Sweep South was a great example when we met with when I met with Sweep South the first time. Aisha Allen, super smart, talented people. Like I wanted to, you know, I met, you know, I was actually judging a competition at Simodisa. They were on stage. They won the competition. I went to them after the show saying, I don't want to invest. Let's get a deal done. Within a couple of weeks, we had a term sheet signed, you know, money in the bank. And we were, you know, first investor in the company. Awesome. And, you know, and when I sat down with them and I said, look, what do you guys, you know, what are the plans? They had, I mean, they had a, they've got a good vision for the company. It's not, you know, they're not just maids. They could do gardeners. They can do pool cleaners. But I said to them, I said, look, guys, you know, you, you know, pick one and optimize and refine the business and don't try and do, you know, too many things. And, and you're fine with trying to solve just that one problem. There's this entire universe of complexity in that one problem. And so, you know, that was, I think, um, yeah, an important point for them because they did that. They listened. Which, and some entrepreneurs, they just don't listen. So <laughs> they actually listened and they said, okay, fine, let's refine it. And in d- diving deep into what the problem they were solving was, there was just so many things they could do, and they and they just refined the process. They made it smooth. They made it painless. They made it easy. They scaled up. They fixed uh, issues around um, you know logistics and and just for one category, just mm. for maids. And 
Um, and, and, and they, 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 they learned the importance of focus. And so they're focusing on, you know, maids on demand right now. Yeah, in the future, they could go into other segments, but there's so much meat on the bone just in that mm. segment. Why bother going into, you know, pool cleaners and gardeners and whatever? That makes no sense. Yeah. So I think, I think, you know, in this African context, solve one problem elegantly and get to the point where you have 70, 80% market share because Everyone else is trying to solve the problem. They're so focused on doing a million things. They're the ones who lose market share to you. And so market share is something which I think is underestimated or under, misunderstood in South Africa. The more dominant you are in one category, the more you can build a motor around your business and leverage economies of scale. And with the small, small market like South Africa, the gut reaction is, well, I can't just do one thing because I won't make enough money. And therefore, I'll do 20 different things in my business. But, the, but the, you know. It's, it's, it's counterintuitive because the reality is if you do one thing really, really well and better than everyone else, you'll squeeze everyone else out of that market and you'll be, and, and it'll become a profitable segment for you and you have a, a base to expand from. Okay. That's fantastic advice. Thanks, Vinny. Speaking of investing, you've also invested in numerous other companies like Prompt and many, many others. Um, I wanted to ask you, what are the kind of key sets of criteria that you look for when investing in startups? I know you, you mentioned product market fit. Um, we could even go broader and say, you know, you've obviously been pitched to many, many times. Um, I want to talk about this criteria that you use to evaluate whether or not it's an investable opportunity. Pitch decks are another one that's very much debated around, you know, entrepreneurs starting out. Like, what should I include in my pitch deck? Is it 10 slides or is it 15? You know, what, what, which um, elements do I leave out? What, is the, what are the meat and potatoes and what's the fluff? So with all that in mind, what, what are those criteria for you? What do you look for in an investable opportunity? So number one is the founders. I mean, I think that's the, most, the, the people you're looking at. And so the business concept will change, evolve, you know, uh, things can happen. But it's the people. And so I look for two founders, preferably, sometimes three, but you know, more often two, one being technical and one being business. Mm-hmm. And the tech, and both of them having, you know, the, the willingness, the guts, the determination to build a company together and, um, and want to see it through. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so the team is more important than the idea often. Really? Okay. Uh, yeah. And then, and then, you know, if it's just, and so obviously within that, I'm looking for about two very smart people. And so what you'll find is you'll never find it, you know, someone who's you know, mediocre working with someone who's great. They just wouldn't work together. So you typically great people come in pairs. So you find two really smart people who are working together, who like what they're doing, they're willing to quit their jobs, and they're aligned with the future of what they're trying to build. Um, and then you back them, and you say, look, we'll give you the money, and go and build the team. But I don't invest in two business guys, come up with an idea. I don't, and equally, two tech guys coming to me with an idea, it's just it's the same thing. It's like, well, we're going to write the code, we're not going to think about the market, we're not going to think about the sales. It's just one-sided. So I think you need to find a balance. I mean, even with Civic, my co-founder, uh, he's the CTO and I'm the product guy. So I'm, you know, product CEO, marketing business, he's CTO, you know, operations and stuff. And we have just two very much, very different and complementary skill sets. So we work well together. And that's the other thing, like unique complementary skill sets. Um, and so, you know, the, the next thing is, so that, that's the first thing. The next thing is I look for people who are going to be successful without my help. And the, the worst thing you can do is, is send me an email saying, I have this great idea. And I need you to be successful. <laughs> it's like, well, well, why, why am I investing in you then? <laughs> be successful, then basically it's, I'm the one adding all the value. Okay, how about I'll give you 2% of your company and I'll take 98%. Yeah, exactly. you need it. <laughs> so, 
So you can't invest in people who need you to be successful. You need people who don't need you. Yeah. But you're know, being there, you're going to enhance their business and help them get to the next level. You can ex- you you want to be an accelerate accelerant, not um not the not the spark or the flame. Okay, cool, awesome. Well, um, let's go on to the other side of the coin. Uh, as a founder, um, for for example, Civic, um, what do you look for in equity partners, and are there any skill sets that you recommend for entrepreneurs to look out for in potential equity investors? Well, it depends on the round of funding you're raising, right? So if you're raising, um, I would say if you're raising early round financing, you need to find uh, partners who are going to help you with recruiting because it's really hard in the beginning. They're going to help you with business development. Um, they're going to help you with strategy, product, roadmap, go to market. So, when I raise money for Civic, I raise it across uh, a number of different funds and investors who I think can all add value at the early stage, but can also help with the next round of funding, et cetera, et cetera. So you find I, I always like a mix uh, of investors. I think syndicates are really good for early stage companies. You get you know three, four guys together. They each get you know five or seven percent of your business. You give away 25 percent of your company and let them help you build the business. And that's not you know at that point you you're getting cash in, but you, you're getting three or four business partners to help you. Mm-hmm. And 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 I've got that right now with Civic. I've had that with Gift. It's it's good to have a diverse um, base of um, investors. Mm-hmm. Um, the next stage of funding is when you you found product market fit. You've got some revenues or you've got some traction, and now you need to scale the business up, hire more people, build out the product, get ahead of all the competitors who are probably coming up at you, and just build a moat. And so that's a different round of financing, it's a different round of partner. Then you need a a partner who's going to basically stand by you and. Um, so you can help you focus on, you know, whatever it is you're focusing on at that stage in the company. And then later stages of the growth guys. Now you've got this business, you're at 50, 100 employees, whatever it is, and you just need capital to expand, international, whatever it is. You need to find partners that are going to help you with that. So I think every stage of the company's life is different, and you've got to find partners that are good for each stage of the company's life cycle. So uh, with, with my fund with Lou, we're the early stage guys. I mean, Lose full time on the ground in South Africa. I obviously have connections in South Africa and the US. I can help um, people, uh, you know, introductions, networks, connections, etc. Um, you know, we're not the type of guys to help with international expansion and, and, and big strategic partners. You know, helping you deploy fifty million rand. Like yeah. that's not that's not the type of investor we are. We early stage helping with product strategy, helping with basic business, talking to market, mm-hmm. feedback, refining the product. But when you get to a certain point, like our goal in the fund is to invest early, like first money in, and basically, you know, once we see a thirty times return on investment, we kind of okay, we're happy to sell. Yeah. So we put in. You know, 500,000 to a million rand. When we, when our stake's worth, you know, 15, 20, 30 million rand, we want to get out. We want to sell. We don't want to sit there and, and get 25, 30, 40% return a year. Our goal is to make ridiculous returns and we're happy to tolerate a high failure rate as a result. So we're happy to invest in lots of people and knowing that one in 10 is going to be successful, but that one in 10 needs to be making us 15, 20, 30 times our money to pay off the other ones that weren't successful. Sure, sure, absolutely. Speaking of, um, sales and exiting and so on. I was given a great piece of advice really, which was to always build for exit, even if you don't plan to exit because it results in building a better company with more options. Gift, as we touched on earlier, was acquired for $50 $50 million by First Data Corporation. So exiting is a process that many entrepreneurs just have no clue about. They haven't had the experience, unlike yourself. So I wanted to find out from you, what have you learned in the process of selling and exiting Gift, for example? 
I've learned a lot. I, I don't think that that logic is both for Exodus is correct. Okay. Um, I, I don't think that you should do that. We didn't do it. With Gift, we actually didn't build it for Exit. We built it for users. So we focused on our customers and we built the best possible experience we could for them. And we got acquired. I mean, you know, there's an adage in the valley, the best companies are bought, not sold. Mm. Okay. And so you, you, you don't want to be building for an exit. You don't want to be thinking of that mindset. You want to be focusing on what is the problem I'm solving? Who are my customers? Why do they love my product? And if, if they don't love the product, how do I get them to love it? How do I get them to keep buying more, using it more, telling their friends? Just focus on those things. Those are the things that really matter. Customer acquisition and customer retention. Okay. okay. Part of the evolution. The rest takes care of itself. You may never exit the company. You may just keep building and building and building it. And when you hit a, a ceiling because your market size is capped or whatever it is, then you have to innovate and look at adjacent markets or new products or whatever it is. But if you, I think if you build with the goal of exiting company, um, you are going to be very distracted as a person and as a founder. And everyone who comes along because I want to buy your company, you're going to spend six months having discussions with them and three months wasted here and there, and it's not going to go anywhere. Yeah. Okay. When you want to sell your company, it's like with Gift. We had multiple people interested in buying the company. We, we, you know, we looked at the offers, we took them, we signed the deal, we were done. It was reasonably quick and we didn't, we didn't mess around. Um, you know, if we were like trying to sell the company, it would be like knocking on doors. I mean, we didn't even go and approach everyone. We, you know, we spoke to the people. I mean, we, we had an unsolicited offer come in. And, um, so I think for us, it was, um, it's a different, it's a different, uh, perspective because we were building the company. We just closed our series A round. We weren't interested. We weren't looking at selling. Okay, cool. That's great. Um, listen, you mentioned Silicon Valley, uh, the capital of, well, largely regarded as the capital of the global startup economy. Um, but I think there's an emerging view that there's, there's more perhaps happening in San Francisco than Palo Alto in terms of startup activity. What's your take on that? And what advice do you have for entrepreneurs who are keen to pursue their entrepreneurial dreams in the U.S.? Well, look, I think Silicon Valley is a big place. I think, you know, you can pick up Palo Alto versus San Francisco. I mean, there's counters to it. I mean, one one of the counters is, I mean, so Palo Alto, if you look at the number of companies, uh, number of this, I think three or four hundred billion dollar companies who have all been founded, uh, you know, south of Palo Alto. <laughs> and, 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 and no company has been, no hundred billion dollar company has been founded north yet. You know, you could argue... Yeah. Uh, Uber might be the cl- soonest, but it's taken, you know, many years, 50 years in the valley before that's happened. And so, yeah, look, there's a lot of startups in San Francisco, but there's a lot of distractions in San Francisco as well. People, you know, there's lots of events. People, are, I mean, I, I think that San Francisco is a really distracting place for people to be. You know, tons of meetings, et cetera. I like being in Palo Alto. Uh, that's where our office is. That's where, you know, Facebook is built, Palantir's here, um, you know, Google's a Mountain View. I, I think I like the south, the, the sort of peninsula area. Um, over the San Francisco area, but it's, it's so close. I mean, San Francisco is yeah. like a 37 yeah. minute drive from my, from my office. It's not, you know, it's not that far. It's like yeah. West Coast versus, yeah. you know, Cape Town CBD. Yeah. Um, it's not a big deal. And so, but I think the region is important. It's four and a half million people. I think it's got two or three trillion dollars worth of tech market cap sitting here in the valley. It's a, it's a unique place where I think, um, and it's a, it's a very merit, it's a very meritocratic environment, especially relative to other places in the world where people, if you're skilled, people want, you know, like engineers, for example, have no problems finding jobs here. It's just not an issue hiring people. Uh, yeah, well, for, if you, have, if you have an engineering background getting a job, it's like, it's not, unemployment is extremely low. Um, 
So there's a high demand for talented, smart people. Okay, cool. Thanks for that, bud. Listen, um, I'm going to hit you with some rapid-fire questions, try and keep them short and sweet. I think we've got uh, just under five minutes left. Um, in terms of your entrepreneurial journey, what is the toughest? Uh, what has been the toughest decision you've ever made, and what did you learn from it? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up, it's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. The toughest decision. It's um, a good question. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, I think you know perseverance. Again, you know, like uh, a, a couple of times, considering throwing in the towel and saying, "Yeah, this is I'm done with this company, and go start a new one, or get a job, or do something like that." And, you know, you have these as a serial entrepreneur. It's really hard when you get hit with a moment of, of you know. Uh, Initially, with with gift, I'd say after the first six months, we thought, "Hang on, we're not doing much volume yet. We we're barely selling any gift cards. It's actually been live for six months. You know, we we you know the volumes aren't here. And you know, I mean, now it's selling you know ridiculous volumes, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of gift cards. Yeah. It's a big business. Um, but you know, in in when we when we first six months, so we're doing thirty thousand dollars in a month." <laughs> And at that point, you're asking yourself, what, what, why are we doing this? Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, you've got to have the faith and belief that you can get it through. You've got to keep, you know, just, just keep at it. So I think, yeah, perseverance. Okay. Yeah. Cool, man. Listen, on the other side of the, of the spectrum, what would you regard as your single biggest failure in business? And what did you learn from that? Single biggest failure in business. Um, I've had a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we all do. <laughs> I think, I think, I think it's, I think, you know, you're constantly making, I think you have to view failure. I think the view of failure needs to be, um, failed experiments, not sure. failures. Sure. You know, like you, you, you're learning. So you're trying new things out, you're taking a chance. You may fail, you may succeed. It, it's all, it's all part of a, the learning process. And so, um, with me, I think it's, uh, not, let me think. Not being, I think, at some point in my career as assertive I should have been about what I believed in. Mm. And so sometimes you just have to rather, you know, assert yourself to the maximum and, and risk failure than, than not and kick yourself for not being more assertive. So in decisions where I kind of went with the, the consensus view and the, and the group was wrong, um, I should have said no. And I refuse to accept this and we're going to move on. And, and as a CEO, that's the tough decisions you have to make. You know, 
often as CEO, you have to go against the grain of what everyone else is telling you because you've got it. You have a gut view, you have an instinctive view on something, and and you know it's just it's really hard though when you got you know five people in a room all telling you one thing to disagree with them and say no, we're doing it this way versus that way yeah. is yeah. extremely hard to do, and it's taken me years to learn how to do it. And now I can, but I think you know. Uh, a decade ago, you know, five or six, seven years ago, I couldn't. I, I was like, okay, fine, you guys are probably right, I'm probably wrong. So a lot of like, you know, self belief, I think. Okay, but that, that, that only comes with experience to a large degree. Yeah. 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 By the way, groupthink is the, the arch enemy of innovation. So I admire mm-hmm. anybody who stands up to a board, for example. Cool. So who do you secretly admire in business? Uh, well, I wouldn't say secretly, I love Elon Musk, he's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Go Elon. I mean, obviously, uh, Steve Jobs before he died was amazing. Um, now it's Elon, I guess. Elon's the, the new Steve. Yeah, I know. Hopefully, I'll get him on the line one day. <laughs> if there was, uh, it, so. uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you never know. Hey, he's done some pretty cool stuff uh, with Wet, but why? I don't know if you follow. Um, yeah, yeah, I follow Tim that, Urban. Yeah. Fucking great blog. Um, but yeah, I mean, amazing what he's been given access to with regards to Elon. Cool man. Um, if there was one piece of advice you'd give, you'd like to give to entrepreneurs, what would it be? Um. You may think that funding is your biggest problem, but it's not. So I think finding, you know, finding the right product market fit is probably your biggest issue. Because if you find that, the funding will come. So if you have a product that people want to use and people will love and they'll keep coming back, you'll always get funding. As long as you, yeah, it's the principles of business means that, that capital is attracted to people who can deploy it efficiently and generate great returns for investors. So if you can show that you've got something amazing that people want to use and it's not, you know, don't kid yourself. Don't show pie in the sky numbers. Don't fudge the financials. You know, understand the difference between, you know, gross revenue and net revenue and profits and margins. Um, And so when you're building a business, you know, be realistic about, um, you know, whether people like your product, whether whether they're coming back and how they spend their money on you. I think it's, it's it's a very important a lot of very important lessons around um, financial management of, of you know, especially once you pass the startup, startup phase, you know, the, the numbers don't lie. If people see value in what you're offering, they will pay you more. They'll pay you a bigger margin. You, your business will be better than your competitors. And so, you've got to you got to understand to attract dollars or rands or whatever it is. You've got to offer a better product and better service. And so, keep just you know, keep an eye on business fundamentals. Okay, fantastic advice. And lastly, Vinny, what's your why as an entrepreneur? What? Why do you get out of bed in the morning? I get out of bed in the morning because my kids wake me up. No, <laughs> uh, it's an entrepreneur. Let's see. Um, I, you know, I, I always, I, I, I just think that it's a, it's a calling. I think you know, for entrepreneurs, it's like it's what I do. I like building cool things. I like building businesses. Like. Initially, I started being, well, the original reason was that I'm unemployable. <laughs> I was unemployable. You can ask any of my ex-bosses that you know, I worked for. Like, <laughs> I, so I, I never, ever thought I could work in, a, in an existing company, and I've realized that more and more of the life, I have to build my own products and services um, and businesses. And so, um, but I, I like the idea of being on a mission to change the world, making a difference. I think it's, you know, if we all left the world a better place than we 
where it was when we got here. I think the world would be you know, far along. And I think um, I personally, I get out of bed because I think I've been given, uh, I, you know, whether I've earned it or been, or been given it, it's questionable. Um, and I, the reason I say that is because I, I do think that, you know, there is a bit of luck in, in life. And sometimes, you know, I was lucky to get out uh, of South Africa when I did and get into the position in Silicon Valley when I did. Uh, you know, because getting, you know, getting into Silicon Valley is not easy. Getting into the U.S. is not easy. And so, you know, there was a little bit of luck there. Um, and I kind of want to give back and, and, and make a difference. Um, I'm lucky to be in the middle of all that's happening in, in tech right now. And like, this is where I wanted to be my whole life. It's, it's a kind of a dream come true in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think, um, I don't want to waste it. You know, I, I could go lie on the beach and, you know, play games and, 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 and do nothing all day. Uh, and retire or whatever it is. But, you know, it would be a real waste for, for someone who I think is uh, myself, I've got a lot of great skills and, and insights and stuff and I can make a difference in the world. Mm-hmm. And so you know, why waste it? I mean, I'm not going to do it forever. Obviously, at some point I say, okay, I'm, I'm getting too old for this. And I'm, probably, <laughs> <laughs> 30s, and I'm still okay, I'm in my mid-30s and there's no reason for me to do nothing. And you know, my kids are going to school and so I've got to just basically so they can make the world a better place. Awesome. Thank you, Vinny, so much for your time. I think we've shot over by a couple of minutes, but um, thanks once again. It's been amazing chatting to you. Uh, great to connect. And yeah, wishing you all the best for Civic. We'll be following very closely. Cool. Thanks, man. Take care. Have a good day. You too. Ciao, ciao. Remember that the show is now on iTunes, so please head on over and either write us a review or subscribe for new episodes. And if you'd like to be an exclusive real-time participant on our next Digital Kung Fu live show, then visit our website at digitalkungfu.co.za forward slash live to get early bird VIP access. Thanks for listening to the Digital Kung Fu Show. If you'd like to check out more episodes and get access to our growing community of entrepreneurs working together to succeed in business, then please visit our website at www.digitalkungfu.co.za. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.